Thank you, boy. Uh, it is good to be here back at Mitchell Berean. I, we left eight years ago, so some of you have no clue who we are, but uh, uh, it is great. We were here 19 years, and then God called us over to Torrington, Wyoming, to plant a church there, and we were there five years, and then Pastor Giles threw my name into the hat to become president of the Berean Fellowship, and uh, we made the mistake of praying about that. And uh, felt God calling us to accept that, this position. So now Diane and I travel around to a different Berean church every weekend, inspiring and influencing God's people to pursue Christ's plan for their life and not their own. And as we minister and go to all these different churches, we're at a different church every weekend, it is amazing for us to observe the different uh, types of churches. You know, some churches we go to remind me of, of a turtle. Uh, years ago when I was living, I grew up in LaGrange, Wyoming, and I was driving, I was out feeding some cows, and I was driving along the backcountry road, and I saw this big old honking uh, snapping turtle crossing the road in front of me. And I always wanted to eat turtle, and I wanted his uh, shell. So I jumped out and grabbed him by the tail. I had a machete, and I chopped his head off. And I threw him in the back of my pickup, and an hour and a half later, I decided, well, I want to get that shell off that turtle. Now, his head was chopped off, okay? I stick the knife in there to start cutting his shell off, and he'd take his claw and push the knife away. His head was chopped off, and he'd still shove my knife away. He was dead. He just didn't know it yet. (laughs) And some churches, quite frankly, are dead. They just don't know it yet. They just don't admit it. Now I'm here at Mitchell Berean, I feel like you guys are healthy and pretty life-giving, but you're facing a transition. You're moving from a a long-term lead pastor in G to now into the unknown. And I have a passion that you guys continue to be a healthy, life-giving church. And that, that, that the 55 churches in our Berean fellowship, and we hope to continue to plant and gain more churches, will really continue to internalize the reality that how I go, so goes this church. That individually, somehow your choices that you're making to walk with Jesus affect the rest of the church. Too often in our Americanized version of Christianity, we're really independent And we forget that our walk with Jesus is really dependent and interconnected with other believers. And consequently, many churches are kind of these fractured little little groups of people who forget that how I go and what I do affects other people. So this morning I thought it would be wise that we go through and and talk about what are healthy, life-giving churches comprised of. Because two-thirds of the churches in the United States of America, two-thirds, 66% of evangelical churches in the United States of America are plateaued or declining in attendance. And the other third that are growing, most of them are growing purely from transfer growth of Christians moving from one church to another or moving into an area and, be, and, mo- and coming to church. Very few people in the United States of America are getting, uh, becoming new Christians. Conversion growth in the, in the church in the United States is going backwards rather than up. 
And so it is vital. God's plan for this time period in history is for his kids to be committed and involved in a local church. And so as Mitchell Berean continues to go throughout its existence, it is very essential that this church is comprised of people. Number one on your outline. Oh, before I dive into the deep end, let's pray, okay? God, do a work through your word like only you can. Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me up to preach your word yet again. I ask you, I beg you for that. Holy Spirit, fill me right now. Lord, I I pray in the, the authority and name of Jesus Christ that not one person listening online or one person in this room this morning would tune you out, God. That not one person would stiff arm you and persist in living a selfish life. But God, you would do a miracle here this morning and save and sanctify all of us. So God, do a work. In your name, Jesus Christ, I pray. So seven things that the church, a healthy life-giving church is comprised of. Number one on your outline, you don't think you have an outline, but number one, if you're all five of you taking notes in this service, number one is you need to love Christ. To love Christ is to love his church. Healthy, life-giving churches are comprised of a majority of people who understand that if I love Jesus, I need to love his church. There are too many people in today's Christendom who say, well, I love Jesus, I just don't like his church. Folks, if you love me, you're going to love my wife. As my wife die, I love her more than I ever have. She's an amazing woman of Christ. I was just telling her earlier this morning how deeply I loved her and how proud I I am of her. I love my wife. If you want to love me, Diane, I've been involved in ministry a lot and Diane's a leader as well as I am. And there's been some people throughout the years, surely never anyone at Mitchell Berean, uh, who have intimated, well, Preacher, I kind of like you, but your wife, I don't know about. And I'm telling you what, I wouldn't put up with that. Because if you love me, you're going to love my wife. If you're going to love Jesus, you're going to love his bride, the church. And this business in many people that says, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church, is not from God. You are living in disobedience if you do not love your church. It's hard though, isn't it, at times? The church is comprised of a bunch of weirdos and wackos. Many times they just, it's, they're hard to live, love sometimes. But it's still Christ's bride. I think of those verses that found in Ephesians chapter 5. For husbands, it says in verse 25, this means love your wives just as Christ loves the church or loved the church. Christ loves his church. Now, we've given him every opportunity as his bride to not love us. We are faithless and fickle. I'd have a hard time loving us, but Jesus loves us. And we're his bride. Do you love Mitchell Berean Church enough that even as you go through this transition with G leaving, that you're going to continue to love his church? 
Christ loves the church and he gave his life up for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Jesus Christ loves his church. If you're a Christian and are here this morning, you need to know that he loves you. And you're his bride and you need to love his church. Secondly, healthy life-giving churches are comprised of people who understand. Well, before we get to point number two, I remember years ago, back in about, we started in 1992 at Mitchell Berean and it was pretty old school. We had this young man that got saved right out of the bar scene. He played drums in the bar. He came to faith in Jesus, and I said, you need to be playing drums for us at Mitchell Berean. So as he was walking into the old building over there, he'd drop his cigarette. I'd go push it, put it out, and pick it up for him. And then first few weeks when he was drumming, again, he came right out of the bar, okay? So it was fairly loud. And there was this lady, she's in heaven now from this church. Her name was Dorothy Somerville. One time, Dorothy, she was older, and she had a cane, and she come a-tottering up to me after service once, after he had played drums very loudly, and I knew what was coming. I knew what was coming, and she said, Pastor, drums aren't really my thing. And then her face softened, and Dorothy said, But I've prayed too hard and too long for young people to get saved in this church. Let him play his drums. I'll just turn my hearing aids down. (laughs) And that attitude and that part of culture making at Mitchell Berean Church infused this church with a hunger and desire that our personal preferences cannot take precedence over the mission of the church. Drums weren't Dorothy's thing. But her personal preference was in submission to the great mission of the church. And so point number two is my personal preferences cannot take precedence over the mission of the church. Churches are unhealthy when they're comprised of people who say, well, you have to do music only my way, and the preacher has to preach my way, and the building has to look my way, and the people have to be this color, Those churches die. Their heads are cut off. They're dead. They don't know it yet, but they're dead. But healthy, life-giving churches are comprised of people who say, you know what, my personal preference for my style of music might not be what they sing, but I want to be involved with a church that's on mission to reach lost people with the gospel of Christ and see them come to faith in Jesus and be discipled. That's been a lot of the culture at Mitchell Berean is we are on mission to reach lost people. 
The great mission of the church found in Matthew 28 in Jesus' words, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the, end of the, even to the, end of the age. Your personal preferences cannot take precedence over the mission of the church. To be a Christian is to die to self. To be a Christian is to love Christ's church. To be a Christian is to say the mission of the church takes precedence over my personal preferences. Thirdly, the healthy, life-giving church is comprised of people who grow up. Years ago here at Mitchell, when the church was rapidly growing, Diane and I had a farm out south of town. I was preaching all over the country. I was riding a lot of outside horses. The elders met with me one night. I had no idea this was coming. They met with me one night, and they, they said, Scott, you and Diane are not healthy people. You're, you're, you're doing way more than what God expects out of you. And we found this place called Sunscape that pastors and, and missionaries can go to to get healed up and deal with some of their issues so that their identity is in Christ and not just their job or their work as a pastor. And I sold up, because I was young and I knew it all, and I sold up and said, no, I don't need to go get, I do counseling around here, I don't need to go get any counseling. And they were resolute (laughs) in a kind way, but firm way, no, Scott, you and I are going to this. And so we went off to this place called Sunscape. Our counselors there, part of our counseling team, was a, a couple called Larry and Barbara Magnuson. And I'll never forget Larry at one point in one of our counseling sessions said, Scott, you're stuck emotionally in how you react to certain situations. I sold up again and got mad. He said, you're reacting like... You're stuck emotionally at about 11 or 12 years old. That's hard to take. (laughs) That is not real um, fun to hear. But it was true. And it was said in love. And I'm not the only one. Some of you react to your spouse just like you're 11 or 12 or 8 years old. Some of you have situations at work that you get immediately mad about and go to gossiping. And you need to grow up and out of that. Healthy, life-giving churches are comprised of people who say, God, you're my authority and I am sick of living like an immature brat and giving people the silent treatment or or, or coming undone at my kids and yelling and screaming at them or withholding myself from my spouse, or in my singleness, continuing to just be bitter and angry. Some of you need to grow up, just like I was challenged to grow up those many years ago. Healthy, life-giving churches are comprised of people who encounter the holiness and grace of God in such a way that they decide to say, God, you're my authority. I want to grow up. My family of origin cannot continue to define me. My childhood experiences that were hard, maybe, and hurtful do not have to define me for the rest of my life. I want to grow up. Maybe for some of you today, 
You're encountering the holiness and grace of God and the Holy Spirit right now is pressing in on you that you need to repent and grow up. One of the key verses that I had read but never internalized that Larry Magnuson, that counselor at Sunscape, used, used with me was 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. He challenged me. He said, it's time, Scott. It's time to put away childish things. Now, the people who dealt with me for years afterwards know that I wasn't immediately mature. But I think they would tell you they saw, saw me and watched me grow and mature and grow up a lot, a lot out of my childhood traumas and some of my family of origin uh, uh, attitudes. How are you going to respond today? Are you going to grow up? Some of you are thinking, geez, Louise, I just came to church and we got this guest preacher and he's nailing me to the wall. Oh, the rest of these points are real easy, okay? I just preach nice little sermonettes for little Christianettes anyway. Just pat you on your back. The healthy life-giving church is comprised of people, number four, that need to honor their elders of their church. God's plan for this time period in history is for local churches to be led by elders. We're part of the Berean Fellowship. We, we try to, as much as we can, follow God's word. And if you just take God at his word and read his word, you find that, that elders were appointed in local churches to be the human leaders of that local church. And God expects his people to honor the elders Should those elders be eminently godly and humble and generous and kind? Yes. Should they communicate frequently and clearly with God's people and shepherd and love them? Yes. But God's people in a culture, an individualistic culture that we live in, that that we are always in rebellion against authority and it's seeped into the church and consequently churches lack health because people are just immediately rebellious against any human leadership in the local church. And I'm calling you, as God's people, and I'm going to assume assume most of you are Christians. If you're you're not a Christian, you're here today, man, turn from your sin right now and believe in Jesus Christ. Be born again right now as I'm preaching. If you're nervous right now that I kind of went on this rabbit trail... And you're like, oh, mercy, will he just shut up and maybe tell another turtle story or something? Maybe it's because you're not right with a holy God. And if you died today, you face a Christless eternity in hell. And God got you here today to hear some spitting cowboy preacher say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Don't be afraid. Believe in the Lord Jesus right now, but I digress. Anyway, that's for you unsaved ones that are here or listening online. But for your saved ones, are you honoring your elders? It is a hard deal to be an elder in a local church. It's hard. Your call is very heavy. You're called to be very godly, and you're called to lead, and it's hard because a lot of times all you're dealing with is the underbelly of the church and mad people. And it's hard to have a fresh, vibrant walk with Jesus when you're leading a local congregation. It's hard. Your elders need loved and encouraged and honored. Do you know who they are? Do you pray for them? 
Do you specifically and intentionally encourage the elder team here at Mitchell Berean? I would encourage you to do that. Listen to the word, or word of the Lord in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Dying churches are comprised of people who dishonor their elders and are critical and mean about them. I met with your elder team last night and was encouraged by their love for you, by their desire to shepherd you well, as they are in this process and I'm helping them find a new lead pastor. They love you. Are they perfect men? No. But I believe they're called of God and I believe you're called to honor and love them. The Healthy Life... You see, I told you this was simple, the rest of this sermon. The Healthy Life-Giving Church is comprised of people, number five, on your outline that you don't have, that everyone in my church, including me, has blind spots in their life. If you are going to be a part of a local church, you need to understand that you have some blind spots in your life and everybody you deal with has a blind spot. What do you mean by that, preacher man? Uh, Well, you know, a a few months ago I was driving with my pickup and horse trailer with my horses in it down down I-80 and I was coming up on this semi that was going too slow so I put the blinker on, looked in my beer, put the blinker on, was going to pull out to pass the semi and what do I hear? Honk, honk! There was a little car in my blind spot. I looked in my mirror, but I couldn't see it. Thankfully, they had a horn that worked, and I didn't run them off the road, and I pulled back in. Folks, every one of us has a blind spot in our life where you don't know, but you're blowing it with God. (laughs) But you don't even see it yet. It's a blind spot. You don't see it. When I first started pastoring Mitchell Berean, you know, I grew up in LaGrange, Wyoming, rough, tough cowboy. You know, if your horse messed up, you just whipped him. I'd be at a roping or something. I'm pastoring this church. My horse blow up, screw up. Bam, come on, you piece of junk. I didn't, that was part of my culture. I grew up. That was just normal behavior. I didn't think anything about it. Until, again, some brothers in Christ were like, uh, um, Scott, pastor, <laughs> kind of pastor. That's not really the right attitude to show to people towards your horses and other... Oh, I was mortified. I had to repent of that. But I didn't even see it. It was just part of my culture. It was just part of my life. You have a blind spot or two in your life. If you don't think you do, let me come live with you for a week. I could find them. I'm an expert, right? (laughs) Sorry. Uh, You do. And healthy life-giving churches are comprised of people who are like, man, I know I got some blind spots in my life that I'm not even seeing yet. Jesus, I want you to show them to me. But I'm also dealing with people who have blind spots. Unhealthy churches are like, your blind spot's so much bigger than mine. (laughs) Can't believe. Listen to the word of the Lord, Jesus Christ. He said, Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, 
First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Healthy, life-giving churches are comprised of people who just get that. Like, wow, I got some blind spots. I want to grow out of them, but I still have them. And everybody I deal with has blind spots. And so then, conversely, number six, everyone in my church, including me, has strongholds in their life. Strongholds are those things that we know are not right, but we still keep doing There are people in this church who ate way too much and were total gluttons yesterday and hate themselves today, who went to bed saying, no, I'll start the diet tomorrow. There are people in this church who looked at porn this week who absolutely detest themselves, said they were never going to do it again, and did it again this week. They have a stronghold. It's like Satan has this stronghold on their life and they believe in Jesus and they believe in his resurrection power, but somehow there is this thing that keeps them tied, this stronghold. There are people who, 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 who drank to excess this week in this church who said they weren't going to ever get drunk again and there they were. And Satan's like, you loser. You need to understand that to survive and thrive in Christ's church, there are a lot of people who still have some strongholds. They just do. And I'm I'm not trying to justify those strongholds. I'm not saying that you should just wink at them. I'm saying we need to understand that to help the life-giving churches recognize that everybody is in process. And everybody has some blind spots and everybody needs to grow up and everybody has a stronghold or two usually that they don't like and they hate and they want to grow up and out of. Our verse for this point is Romans seven nineteen. I want to do what is good, the Apostle Paul said, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Can you relate You who got mad this week or you said you weren't going to get mad again. You who lusted, who said you weren't going to lust again. You who ate to excess or drank to excess or shot up or whatever. Your personal addiction you're using to cover the pain in your heart. I want you to know that Jesus Christ has not given up on you and your stronghold. That Jesus Christ still came to set the captives free. That Jesus Christ is still in the business setting people free. There's hope. Don't give up. Don't beat yourself up for your sin that you committed this week because Jesus was beaten up and put on a cross for you 2,000 years ago. Keep relearning and accepting your identity in Christ and His resurrection power and you will continue to grow up and out of the strongholds and blind spots in your life. The healthy, life-giving church is comprised of people, number seven on your outline, that you don't have. It's comprised of people that recognize that Satan is the real enemy and wants you to quit, compare, and complain. Satan, our enemy, is the real enemy here. He wants you to quit. He wants you to compare. He wants you to complain. He wants you to stay in your stronghold and blind spots. And he doesn't want you to grow up. He wants you to make a big deal and get your shorts in a wad about your personal preferences ought to take the precedence over in this church over the mission. 
He doesn't want you loving this church. Friends, too often we make our enemies out to be human beings and they might be captive and held captive by our enemy, but they are never the enemy. Those people who you are struggling to love and even can't stand are are people who Christ died for, are people who God loves just as much as he loves you. Please, please, don't get caught up in wanting to fight other humans. Your enemy is Satan, not them. Ephesians 6.12 is clear. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I'm done on my outline, but I want to add one more if you're writing this down. Number eight. Friends, I believe healthy Life-giving churches are comprised of people who accept that there's some things that are mysterious about God and this world. Diane, would you get me my phone? Deuteronomy 29, 29, please, honey. I believe that in order to thrive as a Christian, you have to accept that some things in life don't make sense and God doesn't always make sense. We live in in an information-saturated age where we are convinced that we can make God make sense. And the reality is there is a mystery to human existence and a mystery to the sinfulness of people and the fallenness of this world that we by cannot make sense out of a lot of life. God has, God has not told us. Thanks, hon. God has not told us everything we want to know in this book. Now, he's told us everything we need to know. But the reality is, is I I still don't get why I have some really good friends and why they struggle, health-wise or relationally-wise, financial-wise. I don't get, like, the denominations of all in Christendom. Does this bother anyone else? We all have our own little camp that we get in. And I'm like, could we just all believe in Jesus? It grieves me. That's a mystery. There's a lot of stuff in life that I can't make make sense. And I believe that, that, the, that the reality is, 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 could you get this on my phone? Because my font is bigger. <laughs> I can't, my, I don't have my reading glasses with me. I'm getting old. I forgot where I'm at. But please accept the mystery. That's the way to help. And I'm not talking about that we God is unknowable or any of those things. I'm talking about there's stuff that happens in our life with with in our relationships and different things that we can't always make sense. And and the the reality of true health is saying, God, I don't get all this but I'm going to trust you anyway. True Christian maturity, honestly, is, is, is not getting to this stage in your life where everything makes perfect sense. A lot of Christian maturity is getting to the place where you say, God, I release this stuff that doesn't make sense. I'll find it if you want me to. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. I'll read that again. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one, 
We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may may obey all the terms of his instructions. We're accountable to what we do know. God hasn't told us everything we want to know, but he's told us everything we need to know, friends, in God's word. And so I beg you to not be afraid to accept the mystery, okay? Well, it has been a joy to be with you. I want you to know I've been praying fervently. I'm excited for G and Angel as they go to this new ministry. But every time there's a change in leadership in a local church, and this is what I deal with all day, every day now, it, 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 it is comprised, if churches respond rightly, the individuals can collectively respond rightly, they pass the test from God. And I want Mitchell Berean to pass this test that God has given you. He's taken G one of the most phenomenal pastors I've ever met in my life. One of my best friends. A man who has loved me fiercely. A a man who has challenged me. A man who's had to forgive me. He's taken you and that's going to be a big hole. It just is. Do I think you're going to pass the test? Yes. But there's also a temptation from Satan. Every time there's a change in leadership. A temptation for God's people to get selfish and mean and forget all them seven or eight points I just preached. And I want you to pass the test from God. Pass it well. Don't give in to the temptation to get selfish in this whole deal. 